You're listening to Remarkable by Elaine Agnew, performed by the Remarkable Voices, Codetta and the Ulster Orchestra with conductor Donald Doherty. A piece which is programmed for the opening night of the 2021 City of Derry International Choir Festival. I'm Jonathan Grimes and this is Amplify, a podcast from the Contemporary Music Centre. And in this episode, produced especially for the City of Derry International Choir Festival, we chat to two of the Irish composers who feature in this year's festival, Elaine Agnew and Owen Desmond. To tell us more about the episode and introduce our first guest, I'm joined, as always, by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Jonathan. So we're coming to the end of October. The mellow tones of autumn are well and truly in view across our little island. And that time of year brings around the City of Derry International Choir Festival and CMC's annual trip to Derry as a festival partner. Delighted to say that this year attendance in person is possible at some concerts. The concert featuring Remarkable by Elaine Agnew that you've just mentioned and the concert which features a new work by Owen Desmond in celebration of the Columkill 1500 anniversary. Well, as you know, Jonathan CMC has been a partner with the festival from the early years with the award for the best performance of a choral work by a composer from Ireland. And then in recent years, we've continued to work closely with festival director Donald Doherty in our joint aim that a chosen work from the catalogues of CMC or a work written by a composer represented by CMC is mandatory for those choirs entering the international competition. And that's resulted in many visiting choirs engaging with Irish choral repertoire and continuing to perform it in their home countries. Well, competitions are still on pause at this year's festival, but it's still a jam-packed programme. So much singing to enjoy and engage with over the days of the festival, including these new choral works from Elaine Agnew and Owen Desmond. Well, Owen and I had a chat a few weeks ago, tracing his own engagement with choral music from his earliest days as a boy soprano to this present new work and his vast knowledge of the legendary saint, Saint Colm Kill, which he has brought to this festival commission for choir and cello, celebrating the Column Kill 1500 anniversary. You know, in my time here at the Contemporary Music Centre, my time of working with composers over the last 25 years, my observation would be that those of you that are writing a lot of choral music, it's drawing on a wealth and a well of experience over many years and that it's coming from a very early connection with choral music. Yeah, for me, very much so. Um, I started singing choral music as a treble in St. Finbarr's Cathedral in Cork, age of eight and um, I've been very closely connected to cathedral music since then. I was in St. Finbar's until I moved to Dublin. I was in Christchurch while I was an undergrad and doing my master's in Trinity and then moved up the hill, down the hill to St. Patrick's, where I've been since 2013. And I think it's just that people write what they know. I found it very interesting recently 
with the um, Chamber Choir Choral Sketches project that's been running for several years, that bringing in people from sort of with maybe less choral writing experience, how their approach to choral music can be quite different and how some of them can be maybe kind of restricted by this preconception of, you know, choral music must be this SATB, almost like they're going, right, what's the most famous piece of choral music? Mozart's Ave Verum Corpus. So I must be bound by the constrictions of style. And actually what I find really interesting about singing in the chamber choir is exactly the opposite, that we do music that kind of explodes the the sort of traditional notion of what choral music can be in. Yeah, I, I find that really interesting. And we've talked about this before, yeah. this sort of kind of trap, I think, that sometimes composers can fall into of the kind of gorgeous, harmonious choral music yeah. that they, they think they need to write. That leads me to the question of, you know, as you've been so many years singing all the big choral pieces, all the, the, yeah. the Ave Verum Corpus, yeah, yeah. all the big choral pieces. And I'm interested, you're talking about there, maybe the more experimental or p- pushing the envelope a little bit in, yeah, in choral yeah. music. I mean, in terms of past and present, what would be your big choral composer idols? Since my undergrad, particularly, I've had a kind of an increasing obsession with polyphony. You know, I'm always I'm always mining Thing, you know, the likes of Palestrina and um, oh, yesterday in St. Patrick's, we did a piece by Thomas Morley called Nolo Mortem Peccatoris. And it is in absolutely four parts. And it's just the most perfectly constructed little two minute gem of just choral gorgeousness. And every time I see it down there, I'm just like, yes. And actually, sometimes I find myself um, when I've been in the kind of either the bigger choral stuff or maybe you know, if I've been on an opera an opera project or something, I find myself just going, oh, I just want this little piece of Tudor, you know, uh, like coral amuse-bouche <laughs> to kind of cleanse my palate. If you look at the kind of composers I'm most interested in as you go through, you know, time, you know, the French composer Durufle, who takes plain song and just sort of treats it in this amazing polyphonic way. Uh, the Rachmaninoff Vespers, again, I mean, not polyphonic in the same way as the Palestrina, but again, taking sort of this chant and imposing this sort of really interesting approach to, you know, multiple voices. And I think for me, that's the big key with choral music is you have this chance to to have this polyphonic texture, which is somehow both homogenous down through the parts and also different. Because, of course, the big difference between a soprano section and a violin section is everyone in the violin section, they might be playing instruments by different makers, but basically they're playing the same instrument. Whereas all the sopranos have different voices. You know, the dimensions of every violin are basically the same, but the dimensions of every person are completely different. And I think it's one of the things I, I like about running for smaller ensembles is often that you do hear these are like eight different people making a really interesting sound. And then conversely, when you've got like, like say the RTE fill, actually everybody making a different sound comes together to make this kind of glorious sound. 
which is quite a diversion from what you asked me, actually. Yeah, I but realized. very interesting. <laughs> a very interesting one because, you know, it makes me think of kind of yeah. different interpretations of works and different recordings. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, if you think of the numerous different ways of performing the Bach cantatas. And Absolutely. Everybody has yeah. their kind of go-to, yeah. right, between the Completely. smaller scale um, interpretations and then the, the kind of, I suppose, more old-fashioned, um, larger scale kind of versions, you know. So Which is an interesting uh, way of putting it that you know the old-fashioned <laughs> versus the historically informed which is kind of even more old-fashioned but we do think of it as old-fashioned you're right um, and there's a great recording of Wacket Auf by Bach by Harnenkor which is like kind of the peak of like that romantic style of of you know historical performance practice nah we're gonna do it the way we're gonna do it today and it's oh, it's magic I don't like being in rehearsals of my music. I don't like this idea that I've written a piece and there's only one way for it to sound. And I have to be there saying, you know, tenors, your crescendo needs to be three decibels less because it was in my head when I was writing down the piece. There's an organist in America who does my music with his parish choir. And he sent me the recording of the very first piece they did with him, my short service. And... I sent him back an email saying, oh, hey, it sounds great, but I think it's a bit too fast. And he said, that's the tempo marking that's on the piece. And I listened back and I realized it was. And then I listened to it a couple of days later and I went, actually, it sounds great. It's not too fast at all. So why should anybody else try and adhere to this like one idea of how I think my piece should sound if I can't even do that? And I sort of very arrogantly then apply that mindset to all the music that I am involved in. You know, music is not sculpture where that's the finished product forever, secular secularum, you know, I think it's really important. I think that's quite particular to choral music, though, when I when I reflect a little bit on, because we're used to amateur choirs yeah. or semi-professional, very, very high quality yeah. amateur choirs taking the repertoire and, you know, engaging audiences with it. Whereas I suppose with instrumental music, we're not so used to that, right? So we're not as accepting maybe, okay, because we're not hearing an amateur ensemble doing the Brandenburgs every day of the week. Whereas we are hearing, you know, our local choir or, you know, our very good semi-professional local choir singing Durufle or the Foray Requiem. Requiem. Obviously the quality of the instruments might be high in a professional ensemble to a, an amateur ensemble but essentially it's still a violin a french horn and sort of fundamentally the mechanics of and dimensions of the instruments are basically the same but again in in a choir and even between two professional choirs of equal standard you know you might have radically different voices we can we can train and and work to blend all we like but fundamentally we are different people and um, the conductors I've sort of most enjoyed working with have really let that that through. And instead of trying to, again, conductors that instead of trying to go, we're going to sound like the Estonian Philharmonic today because that's who I did this piece with first. So you have to sound like that goes, right, 
you're not the Estonian Philharmonic, you're the Leivikers of St. Patrick's Cathedral, or you're Chamber Choir Ireland, or you're Resurgam, so you're going to sound like the people you sound like. You know, it's much more satisfying, I think, to have that flexibility and almost a sort of a generosity to allow the singers to be bringing what they're bringing and then to work within that. conductor in particular that we're both a big fan of yes. Paul Hillier yes. and very lucky I think that he is the Chamber Choir Ireland's very much so. artistic director Yeah, he brings that wealth of experience and he, he has been a huge influence on my approach to choral music, you know he has this obsession with text, as singers we're almost always dealing with text almost the whole entire time, very rarely we're not, and it's very easy I think to fall into the trap of like looking at the first word in a phrase and characterizing the phrase by that word. Look at a whole sentence, look at four sentences and kind of think, what's the subtext? For example, this is on my mind because I've just come from a vocal coaching. I was working on Messiah, the bass areas in Messiah. We were doing The People That Walked in Darkness, which I've sung 50 times. And, you know, I used to sort of do the thing that people do where the first line is the people that walked in darkness. So you go, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, have seen a great light. And it's a very like, direct you know reading and over the years of working with Judith Mock who is just one of the most gifted vocal coaches I've worked with again like Paul because of like that kind of idea of go past the surface try and see something below and I kind of realized it's actually a bedtime story you know the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light is one sentence and so you have to have both thoughts at once and connect them. What is it that sort of drives that I want to set this text to music? Well, I find myself avoiding texts that are kind of have kind of been ubiquitously set. And in particular texts that like I might have sung. I write a lot of sacred choral music. I've only written two masses, both in the last year. Um, and I think that's because, you know, I have sung dozens, dozens, dozens and dozens of masses. And um, same with, you know, settings of the evening canticles, the Magnificat and Nunc Dimittis, which for the last seven years, eight years, I've been singing six days a week. But I just worry that I'll come to them with this weight of influence everything we write is like suffused with the influence of what's going on around us um, and, you know, what we've come from. But I think I don't want to be just mimicking consciously. I don't mind mimicking consciously, actually. Let me take that back. I don't want to be <laughs> unconsciously mimicking. I actually mimic consciously, deliberately a lot, um, particularly my non-sacred music. I mean, I just steal outright well the I mother mean, goose melodies i exactly just, it was thomas morley orlando gibbons um, was, they were all coming at Wagner. me when i could hear i mean the more mother goose melodies um <laughs> that chamber choir premiered five years ago i literally just set the the nursery rhyme i love little pussy her coat is so warm to the opening 16 bars of the tristan on his old overture note for note unaltered that wasn't really so much being influenced by as ripping off um but 
you know, there's merit to that too. <laughs> Let's talk about St. Columkill. Yes. And, you know, we're we're celebrating this uh, year's City of Derry International Choir Festival with this partner podcast. And you have a very special commission for the Columkill 1500th anniversary year. But before we talk about that specific work, sure. you have a very, very big piece about Columkill. And I'm, yes. you might tell us a little bit about that. And what's your fascination with this great man? Well, it's only become a fascination in sort of recent years. I recently completed a PhD in composition of contemporary sacred choral music for which I had to write a large scale piece. I had done the first year of the PhD and I was sort of slightly anxious because I was casting about for a, you know, a a suitable text. I had composed a setting of um, one of the Gitanjali by Rabindranath Tagore. But on my first trip to Aberdeen, a guy who had just done his PhD had his piece performed by the chapel choir there, which was like a 40 minute setting of all these different texts by Rabindranath Tagore. And I thought, right, well, I don't want to look like I've arrived in Aberdeen and I'm just completely, you know, going, oh, someone else did that. Easy peasy. So that's still on the cards. That'll still happen someday. And then I was thinking maybe a sort of a Julian of Norwich I've been really interested in a lot. And but those specifically in my head, for some reason, need to be a cappella for like double choir with soloists sort of really large forces and Christchurch Cathedral approached me and they had gone through a series of commissions of pieces in Irish for Irish Saints Days and they asked me to write a piece for St. Columbus Day and I was sort of going right well I need to find a text in Irish about St. Columbus uh, you know I was pointed towards Vita Columbae initially which is in Latin so I read all of that and then I found a text I can't remember what it's called but it's in very old Irish and hasn't been translated into modern Irish and I sent that to Professor Nicholas Williams and he said I'm not going to help you with that because what you should instead look at is this modern Irish translation of Aracolum Kill that's just been published a couple of years ago by P.L. Henry here's this 10 stanza elegy about the life of St. Columba so I set a very small chunk of that for Christchurch which became the third movement of the seven movement era column kill for choir and string orchestra the original piece was obviously for choir and organ so it kind of came about accidentally and organically as a result i developed a sort of an obsession with or fascination with column kill because he also went from ireland to scotland where he spent the end of his days and i was going from ireland to do my phd in scotland and it just there seemed to be sort of an interesting set of kind of coincidences So one of the big um, sort of structural features of my big PhD piece, Ara Columkill, is a lot of it is based on the hymn tune by Stanford called Columba. I brought that idea back into this. So the cello is sort of constantly playing these sort of less, more or less elaborate 
um, variations inspired by the second half of that hymn tune, sort of representing Columba. And um, the choir sort of alternates between this. It starts out with cello, solo cello, followed by tenors and basses, kind of just narrating in a sort of a monastic style. And then when the sopranos and altos come in, doing the sort of overlapping polymodal, otherworldly texture, which is kind of meant to evoke angels. Um, and it sort of gets faster and faster and faster and suddenly comes to a dead stop and the choir unaccompanied just is Bishop Finio and they sing the sort of fanfare, which uh, is pseudo Tudor. I, I decided to kind of go from this this polymodal angelic texture into just something very worldly that is largely homophonic, uttered. And then as he says, and with him, he has angels, it sort of expands into this four part Gabrielli like almost um, very very much sounding like Renaissance polyphony moment and suddenly the cello comes sort of crashing back in with a cadenza column kill is here and he's in charge and taking names It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today so for, for, for the me. podcast. Really looking forward to this uh, new work yeah, commissioned by City of Jerry International Choir Festival for the Column Kill 1500th anniversary. And that's coming up during the festival. Thanks so much, Owen. Thanks for having me. Owen Desmond's Amra Column Kill. The Christchurch Cathedral Choir, conducted by Ian Keatley, ending his conversation about his work with Yvonne Ferguson. And his new work, commissioned by the festival as part of the Column Kill 1500 celebratory programme, receives its premiere in Derry on the 21st of October. Next, it's composer Elaine Agnew. And Yvonne, the idea behind her piece, Remarkable, is quite something, isn't it? It is, you know, commissioned by the Ulster Orchestra in partnership with Arts Care and a real celebration of uh, frontline workers in the North during the pandemic. And um, what struck me really, Jonathan, was the whole sense of musical collaboration and camaraderie in the creation of this work, you know, with Elaine, uh, John Toll writing the the poem and all the amateur singers and musicians um, that are involved that that came on board. um, and of course, you know, there were challenges. It's it's great that this is being performed live at the City of Derry International Choir Festival. There were challenges involved in that that Elaine will mention in the course of her interview. But I suppose no better people to deal with challenges than those who run the uh, the City of Derry International Choir Festival, because, uh, you know, I imagine they've had to go through plan A, plan B, plan C in all their planning over the last few years. So it will be a really special evening in Derry um, this evening to hear Remarkable live uh, in performance. And uh, I have no doubt that Elaine is looking forward to it immensely. So here is Elaine Agnew herself now in conversation with me. Because the cord was wrapped around my neck, the doctor gives 
So, Elaine, this is um, a special occasion for me uh, because this is the first time I have actually sat down in CMC in our little makeshift studio talking to a composer for the first time in 18, maybe 19 months. So it's great to have you as a as my first guest here in, in, in CMC in the building. Well, and that's great, Jonathan, because it's a first for me as well. This is the first time I've been in Dublin really since... March, I remember being down for New Music Dublin at the start of March. And then at that time as well, I uh, I was in the process of an opera kind of all coming together. And I was coming down regularly to Irish National Opera offices and rehearsing with the cast. And that was all happening the week of St. Patrick's Day. And then suddenly everything just came to a crash and halt. So, yeah, it's absolutely great to be back in Dublin. On that 18 months, and this was a regular topic of conversations when I was talking to different composers and musicians as part of this podcast. How did you manage during those 18 months? I mean, were you still working? Were you still creating things? How was it for you? As a composer, I do a lot of workshops in in education and and, in healthcare. And then all of that got cancelled. But quite a lot of that moved very quickly online uh, via Zoom and, and other platforms and that kind of worked well. But yeah, I had commissions. I had a commission from the Belfast Music Society for uh, baritone and piano. So that still went on ahead. And then a couple of things came up with BBC Radio 3. And then uh, the project that we're going to talk about today, Remarkable, came up. So I, I suppose maybe in the past number of months, I've been really madly busy. So I've got a few commissions now that I'm, I'm still trying to get through that'll take me into next year. But one thing at the start of lockdown, I moved down and, and uh, spent a lot of time with my mum. So I took kind of a whole pile of work down home with me. And what I did do was that I went through everything that I've composed since I was a student, studying with Kevin Volans at Queen's way back in the, the 1980s and going through every piece right up till now. I, I was really thankful of the time I spent maybe two or three months just going through everything. Did you discover anything about your yourself as a composer from looking back that, that you maybe had forgotten about or hadn't realised, you know, through looking, you know, looking back through the lens of a of where you are now? Yeah, because when I was at Queen's, that was around the time that Kevin Volans was appointed as composer in residence at Queen's. Uh, and myself and John Toll, fellow student who actually has been involved in this remarkable project with me, we were the only two in my year. That <laughs> decided to do composition. And the very first piece that I composed with Kevin, and then that would have been performed at Queen's in the Hardy Room at Queen's, was a little piece called Ted Over Tales. I've no idea why it was called Ted Over Tales. So I found an old cassette tape of the recording from that day, and I listened to it and I played it through, and I'm thinking, God, I still sound the same. I still love augmented fourths. F to B, specifically that one, and semitones. So Ted over tails is all Fs and Bs and uh, kind of running up and down semitones. So in a way, that very first piece has supplied all the building blocks for everything that I've done since. It's very, very bizarre.
Not every composer can pinpoint a signature sound, you know, going back that far. Where do you think all that comes from? Oh, I haven't a clue. You know, I suppose I, like everybody else, had a very um, kind of traditional kind of upbringing in music. I ended up playing the piano when I was about nine or ten because a piano suddenly appeared in our house because my granny thought every farmhouse should have a piano and a horse. I think the horse appeared first. So I end up going to a riding school and local riding school in Ballyclare. And then I'm doing O-level music and then A-level music and then at the same time having piano lessons and getting up to grade eight and then going, what am I going to do? For quite a number of years, I was obsessed with horses and I wanted to be a jockey. I was fearless. I was skinny. And then I think when a teacher at school, Mrs. Fulton, she was my home economics teacher, found out that I was seriously considering going to England and training as a jockey somewhere or whatever it was I was planning to do. She was just outraged. And that kind of put an end to all of that. And so to me, I, I suppose in terms of a harmonic or a, a kind of a musical language, I was just doing what everybody else did. But then there was something about working with Kevin Volans. He would say just the most amazing things like, uh, and I think this was one of the first pieces I'd composed when I was a student with him was he said to John and I, right, away home, you've got a week and I want you to come back with a 30 second minute for solo bassoon just using the note B. Think of the thousands and thousands of different ways that a bassoon can play a B. And there's lots of Bs that that instrument can play. And then so it's when you are suddenly when you've got the, kind of, I suppose, the minimum amount of material, then your brain kind of goes into overload. And uh, so I think it was all of those little exercises. Well, th- I suppose that was maybe my launch where suddenly you can take an interval. And for some reason, I particularly liked augmented force, but I still do. And I'm, I'm writing a, uh, a, a new piece, something else after, after Remarkable. And I think that's my, I've got three opening notes and the second and third note form a, an augmented fourth. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> Just moving on to the piece that you've you've mentioned and, and that is being premiered at, not premiered, sorry, moving on to the piece that's being performed at the City of Derry International Choir Festival, uh, your piece Remarkable. And we started off by talking about the the P word, the pandemic, which I, you know, I did make a re- resolution recently not to ask composers about this because, you know, everybody is kind of sick talking yeah. about it. But I think it's quite pertinent to this particular piece, the experience of the last 18 or 19 months. So tell me about this particular piece and, and how you ended up writing it. And actually, it is a premiere. We got together and recorded the piece in August. So um, it is going to be its I suppose it's premiere performance to a live audience. Uh, Yeah, so this piece, uh, Remarkable, came into being the end of last year. There's a brilliant organisation based in Belfast with artists working across all the five different trusts in the north called Arts Care. So it's a health and well-being charity. And I would have started working with Arts Care as a composer in residence just shortly after I had graduated from the academy in Glasgow. So I suppose I was maybe 24. 5, 26, 27 at that time. This organisation, Arts Care, who this year celebrate their 30th anniversary, had artists of all different disciplines from drama, dance, poets, writers, composers, musicians, storytellers, working throughout the trusts in a variety of different healthcare settings, hospitals, specialised units out in the community, 
in various healthcare settings, both artists and also a small group of performers known as clown doctors. And at that time, I was based in a big psychiatric hospital called Purdy's Burn. And I had my groups that I worked with on a regular basis. We had an office. Uh, we worked with staff. We did a lot of kind of in-service training. And I did that for a number of years. And that organisation, Arts Care, has gone from strength to strength. So this year they're celebrating their 30th anniversary and they have an amazing CEO, artistic director called Jenny Elliott, who was the dancer in residence with me whenever I was composer in residence. So we both met and worked together very intensely back then. We've been working with Arts Care over the years and uh, whenever the pandemic hit, Arts Care very quickly moved online and then the workshops that myself and, and artists would have been normally facilitating face-to-face very quickly moved on to Zoom. And so the work continued. So there was just amazing work was happening. So arts care have been working very much at the forefront of healthcare, very, working very closely with patient service users, but with their families and uh, key national health staff and the community at large. So Jenny came to me and said, Elaine, I've got this project. It's going to be called Remarkable. And it's about how the ordinary person has now become extraordinary, doing extraordinary things and how people have become incredibly resilient. So she wanted to commission a piece of music that would be then the soundtrack for a film that would show the remarkable work of arts care, of its artists, of national healthcare staff. So the basic idea is that it would be a piece for orchestra. Uh, I really wanted voices like an SATB chorus thing. So we worked with Cadetta, an internationally acclaimed uh, chamber choir in Derry. The most important thing about the piece would that was that there would be a single line, a single line melody, quite easy to learn, memorable. You don't need to be able to read music to learn it. And that that would be the remarkable voices. And in this case, we were able to work with an arts care trust choir from the Southern Health and Social Care Trust. So that's kind of Arma, Portadown, that's that kind of area. Mm. So they're a choir that have been together for quite a number of years and they're nurses and they're OTs, administration staff estate marketing, whole spectrum of workers. And then a few of them are volunteers who have just um, kept that connection with healthcare. Um, so they got permission then, uh, as long as we rehearsed outside in St Luke's Hospital in Armagh, we were allowed to have a number of rehearsals and we brought on Karen Diamond who directed and worked with that choir. Uh, so they're rehearsing in Armagh. Meanwhile, Cadetter are in Derry rehearsing with Donald Doherty, who's their artistic director. And then he ended up conducting the, the recording that we did. In August... We all arrived in the waterfront hall then for this recording session and it was fabulous. It was actually very moving. Donald's conducting everyone and we have the orchestra, so maybe about 32 players. And they're all socially distanced. And then there had to be a five metre gap between the back of the orchestra and the start of the choir. So they were way back there. And then we had the cadetta choir in the middle, maybe about 24 voices. And then we had our remarkable choir from Armagh. They were all ladies, so we always called them the, the remarkable ladies. 
who sang their hearts out. I mean, it was just an, an incredible experience. So we recorded it. And now over the past, I suppose, four or five weeks, a filmmaker, along with Artscare, have been working very closely together and threading together images of Artscare and all of their work. So there's this very beautiful four and a half minute piece that really shows the remarkable voice of people. And the text was crafted by John Toll. And I suppose he's better known as a the classical music presenter in BBC Radio Ulster. And I mentioned him earlier because I see we were at Queen's together. And John, John is a fabulous musician, but he's also a great writer. And we've always toyed with the idea of doing something together. He would write the words, I'd write the music. And so from testimonies and stories and reflections that was collated during the evaluation of all Arts Care's projects during the pandemic, that was given to John. And so he went through it all and then... Uh, phoned me up quite soon afterwards and said, what about this? I'm thinking of it as like a prayer. You know, this song is a prayer. This song is a prayer for remarkable people. This song is a prayer for extraordinary people. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's really beautiful. So the the beginning of the poem is very much how healthcare staff have really had an impact and have brought people from really, really dark places through the pandemic. And then kind of the final section of the poem is very much the remarkable work then of the artists who sang for us, who danced for us, um, who really, you know, who lifted our hope and who lifted our joy. And, and, and so it's a real marriage of music and words and it really articulates the voice of people in healthcare, right from families, uh, right from clients, patients themselves, through to the staff that cared and looked after them. And so we had Donald's uh, Cadetta, the chamber choir from Derry, all in beautiful just looking so beautiful and everybody was in their gear everybody looked as if they were going to walk right onto a stage with a thousand people in the audience here we all were all dressed up all with our makeup on all looking and sounding fabulous and there wasn't a sinner in the auditorium there was no audience because we weren't allowed an audience and that kind of starkness was maybe probably much more emotional than, than anything else so you know what it felt a huge privilege I mean, I felt so blessed to be to be to be there, to be part of that, for us to be doing that, you know, just coming out of the, the most recent lockdown and just the sheer joy of being able to perform, being able to sing. I mean, live music is just incredible. I think uh, we all become a bit maybe used to it or a bit complacent about it all. But I, I like to think that we're all coming back into music with a, a whole new freshness and a whole new love, love for it. At the end of the rehearsal, Donal then told us that we could possibly be part of his international choir festival. He then invited the Armagh ladies or Remarkable Ladies from the Trust to be part of that. So they were so excited because that was possibly a live performance 
Not sure at that point whether an audience would be allowed in. Donald got the green light for his opening night concert. We would be allowed a live audience. We'd be in the Millennium Forum in Derry and we would have cadetta and then we'd have our lovely, remarkable Armagh ladies. And then I contacted the Armagh Choir. And then within two <laughs> days, it's funny how you go from a real high to like you really hit the bottom. They went obviously back to the trust to the Southern Trust Health and Wellbeing team to say, we've now been invited to perform in Derry. You know, it's, this is a real historic occasion. This is going to be, you know, the first big kind of live singing thing on the island of Ireland. We're going to be in the Millennium Forum in Derry singing with members of the Ulster Orchestra. Isn't this fantastic? And the Trust said, yes, that was absolutely fantastic. But with rising COVID numbers, with you all being associated with the Trust we cannot allow this to happen. So uh, I could have cried thinking, oh, how are we going to do this? We are not going to have the faces and the voices of yeah. our ladies up there singing, which this piece is all about. But, you know, like COVID, you've had highs, you've had lows, you've gone to plan A, plan B, plan C. So back in touch with Donald, Donald says, we'll just divvy out the parts within Cadetta, bring in some of his other choirs. And he said, we'll, we'll cover that. And then what's really interesting is now the film, which is near completion. Donald has decided very kindly to show the film as part of the opening concert. So it, it'll be seeing and hearing their voices. So even though they're not allowed to be singing live on the stage, everyone in the audience then will get to see the film. Just, you know, like a broader question on, on the role of music for healing. And, you know, you mentioned your 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 work in with arts care and your long association with them from your experience of doing these kinds of projects and working in these these um, settings like how powerful can music be when used in this way I think music is extremely powerful probably more so than any other art form I think there's something about music that just goes right to your heart and your soul and I know from research that's been done through the Alzheimer's Dementia Society that they say that whenever you're taking your last breath, that the, the last thing you remember is music or words of a song, wow. which is so incredibly powerful. But I mean, that's so true because for a number of years, and it's a, a project Arts Care are still very much involved in, they do a, an older people's art and wellbeing festival that really focuses on older people in, in care and in uh, hospital settings. And so as part of that project for years and years, I mean, I've been doing that project for years and years, and I'm working with, you know, much older, very vulnerable people who are obviously in care because they can't be cared for at home mm. or, or whatever their situation is. And you would be amazed at uh, how they remember words of songs and they remember songs that they sang from when they were when they were children. So... I think it's it's it somehow penetrates every muscle and every bone in your body. I probably learn much more from them and get much more out of it than they do. And then I go back in the following week and we start again and maybe we'll get a little bit further this time. We'll maybe carpet some new things into it. And uh, it's it's incredibly powerful. But I think we all kind of get a bit, bit used to it, a bit complacent. But I think we should always be aware of how magical and how powerful music is, that it really does have huge impacts on people, especially those in our society who are at their most vulnerable.
started working in, with arts care in your in your mid twenties, but obviously you took so well to it, and you've been you've been working in healthcare sis, uh, settings uh, ever since. What is it about it that that is is a right fit for you? Like where where does all that come from? It's the kind of work you either love it or you don't. I think that's the first thing, and not everybody likes it. I, I suppose for a lot of musicians, composers, that might be their idea of hell being in that situation. But for me, I love it. I suppose I just love being with people. I remember when I was a student studying with Jimmy McMillan, he took us into primary schools to do outreach work because that was a big part of, of his kind of education as well, is that, yes, you can be a composer and you can stay at home and you can sit in your attic and write music, but unless you're right there working in the community, you're not going to have as big an impact that you could have. So he set up all these projects and there was me and three other students and I loved it. I just loved the mayhem of it all and the other three hated it. <laughs> and so it's interesting that from that then, uh, I think I had, uh, it was around that time then I had an opportunity with another lecturer to go and work in healthcare. And we went into, I think, a dementia unit somewhere. And then th obviously that was the complete opposite. It was very quiet. It was very calm. And we used very different instruments. But it was equally as beautiful. Mm. So I think I'm very much a people's person. Mm. And I think uh, it's engaging with people and learning from other people. And uh, um, yeah, that's a hard question. But I know it's something you either love it or hate it. We hope that you get all you are hoping for or better Whether you want that puppy, puppy. But you get a hamster then you find you love it better Or they trick you by pretending you won't get that Bringing it back to the, I guess, the theme of this podcast, which is, you know, the choir festival and choral music and looking at your, I mean, remarkable as the piece for choir and orchestra and, and chorus. Choral music is a big part of your work. Um, I was looking back over your, your list of works and there is a numerous pieces for choir on its own, choir and orchestra, choir and instruments. Does that interest in choral music does that come from what you just said as well that you like being around people and choirs are very I mean I suppose all music is people focused but especially choir there's something more immediate about you know being in a choir yeah it's very energetic isn't it it's very kind of in your face yeah I think the thing as well with choral music is that I often work with choirs that wouldn't be professional choirs. So community-based choirs, adult choirs, children's choirs, some readers, some non-readers. And they all bring something very particular to the situation. But I especially love working with writers and poets, especially living ones, so that you can have a conversation with them. You can get them to read the poem to you. You can record it so you have a recording of them reading their poem and their rhythm and using that maybe as, as, as a guide. Uh, so a lot of projects where it's involved a commission to write a new piece for a choir, if I can, I would really encourage the commissioner to bring on board a writer or a poet or whoever that is, someone to craft words, whether that person goes and works with the choir and collectively creates a text so that the, the poet, um, you know, words by John Toll from the voices of whoever 
you know that kind of setup. So I love I love that because then the choir are up there singing their words. That must be just the best thing in the world. <laughs> Elaine Agnew, thank you so much for that. It's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, as, as usual and uh, great to see you again in person in CMC. Thanks, Jonathan, for the invitation.